everyone. Welcome to the Style That Finds Us podcast. We are excited to have Dee Poku on our show today. Dee is the founder and CEO of the We Suite, which is a private membership community for women leaders, innovators, and creators. She is a board director of BAFTA and regularly contributes to Forbes and Huffington Post. Prior to starting We Suite, Dee worked at Paramount Pictures Focus Features and Momentum Pictures as the head of international marketing. Thank you for being here, Dee. This is fun. We haven't even started, but it's already fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you are just a font of knowledge and have had such an incredible career. So we're excited to jump right in. Will you tell us about the We Suite that stands for Women, Inspiration, and Enterprise? What led you to start it? So a couple of things led to the We Suite. I, I would say first, it was really in my nature. Um, it was always going to come to this because I've always been a natural community builder. I love bringing people together. I love making introductions. I'm happiest when I'm around people. So I essentially create, turned my passion into, into my job. The second thing is that, you know, I spent most of my career in the entertainment industry. It was a very cutthroat industry, not always the most supportive environment to to be in. And I was often one of very few women and generally the only black woman in, in, in most rooms. And so I just didn't have that support network around me to help me navigate, you know, what was not a very sort of straightforward environment. Um, and so I just craved community and I um, saw that other women, you know, especially women in leadership positions, around me were, were experiencing the same thing. And so um, it was really like the, the, the merging of, of two things where I was sort of hosting things and bringing women together and then also seeing this need. And, and so it became my business. What a gift. Yes, what seriously. It is to other women. Do you have any thoughts on how to refine how women achieve success? Yeah, I mean, I think that like when you look at the workplace as a whole and how it functions, you know, it, it was very much sort of anchored in or inspired by the way that men operated. And, and so, you know, women were sort of somewhat late to the workplace because, you know, we were homemakers, we were, you know, looking after the kids, we were the caregivers um, until we sort of, you know, fought for you know, these sort of hard-won rights, but we entered um, a dynamic that was really sort of built for men. And so there's so much still that we need to sort of unpack and unlearn about how workplaces work to make it more sort of constructive and supportive for women. But certainly things like flexibility, which the pandemic has really accelerated um, and has, you know, obviously been a great thing um, for women and for moms is really important just, you know, having more autonomy. Um, what I'm seeing right now is that women don't necessarily all want the same sort of nine to five cookie cutter job. They have multiple skills and interests. So, you know, they might want to sort of do a day job, but also sort of pursue other interests, which I'm seeing a lot. Um, you know, we're polymaths, you know, we want to be on boards. We want to pursue entrepreneurial endeavors, as well as, you know, maybe go to a traditional um, workplace. So I think it's just more about um, unpacking and, and then sort of, you know, putting back together the, the work as it exists, the workforce or the workplace as it exists. 
That is a, a wonderful way to create a vision in your head to say we're unpacking it and then we're just rearranging it a little bit. What yeah, you- it's almost like um, when you put together, when you're putting together like a PowerPoint deck and you just like right. start with a blank page and you just, you know, reimagine rather than like looking at what other people have done or, or following a format, like just sort of, right. you know, envision, you know, a new workplace. And some of that is starting to happen. Yeah, that's helpful. What do you think is the current state for women in the workplace? It's a tricky time. So I would say there are certain aspects of the workplace that are under attack and um, aspects of how women, you know, how we sort of live our lives and, you know, our sort of autonomy over our bodies that that are under attack and impact our ability to do our jobs. Um, And so, you know, obviously reproductive rights are a huge factor in, you know, how we work, you know, the the ability to sort of choose when and how to have children, you know, is paramount. And so that's really affecting women in the workplace. DEI is under attack. You know, it's, it's sort of twofold, you know, post George Floyd, most companies sort of saw the significance and importance um, of having a strong DEI department and of building truly inclusive workplaces. Um, and then that's just starting to ebb away, apparently due to the economic environment, but also other forces that are sort of attacking this sort of whole idea of inclusion and of prioritizing people who may have had less advantages. You know, I'm worried about those two things. I'm worried about DEI and I'm worried about reproductive rights. But on the positive side, I would say that the pandemic was also, as I mentioned, like quite eye-opening. And so I'm just seeing a lot of women seizing more control of their careers and being sort of more demanding, more outspoken, you know, about how they're treated, how they're paid, how much flexibility they have and so on. Yes, it's a very interesting time of change right now. All the things at once. (laughs) So, Dee, do you have any thoughts on reproductive health and DEI? Anything? We're all about action and, like, what are things that we can do? So, do you have any advice since we are? Those are two areas of concern for us as well. Yeah, we've got to speak up. It's incredibly important, and I think that people worry, um, especially when it comes to sort of workplace related things about like how it might affect their careers and even, you know, speaking out on other issues around race and inclusion and reproductive rights. You know, I think that people in this sort of corporate environment get, you know, worried about um, how that might sort of impact them to speak out on these issues. But it's, you know, it's imperative, like we're doing this for our daughters. We can't accept that our daughters will have less autonomy and and less rights than we have. And so it's important to um, speak up in your workplaces, speak up on your platforms, build coalition, um, support and join the organizations that are fighting for these rights, donate to them, volunteer for them, build your own coalitions and just like use the power that you have in the ways that you have. And sometimes it's not as onerous or as um, complicated as, you know, as you might think. Um, There's a great story. It's actually Mary Callahan Erdos, who's a very senior executive at JP Morgan. I remember her telling a story about seeing mothers at her company sort of surreptitiously leaving the office around 2.30. And she was like, what's going on? And she realized that they were going off to do pickup. 
but they didn't want anyone to know because they didn't want to be perceived to be like less serious about their jobs. And so she started doing it. So she would, you know, loudly declare at two o'clock or two thirty, I'm leaving to go do pick up. I'm gonna pick up my kids. And so she did that as someone in a senior position to make it clear, not just to the women, but also to the men in the office that this was not only okay, but supported and sanctioned by her. So it's like a, you know, it's just like one example of how you use your power in ways that can support the women around you. And so we all have that ability in ways big or small. And it's just really identifying, you know, what that is. Can you be more of an ally to a woman of color in your workplace? Can you speak up when you see something wrong? Because sometimes, like I know that in my job, like there were oftentimes I wouldn't say anything about times when I felt discriminated against because I was just sort of trying to get ahead and, you know, trying to build relationships. And so you would just sort of let things go. But if I had an ally who could say, you know what, that was wrong, that was out of line, like I would have really appreciated that. So there are just, there there are lots of ways, big and small, where you can use your voice for good. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for that. We are all about talking about that constantly to really just hit it home so that people start doing that. Right. And I feel like those of us that are older, sometimes it takes someone younger to say, that wasn't okay that he said that. I'm from a different generation. But also, you know, I keep hearing, well, now men are scared to say anything. We need to figure that out and then teach it to all the people in the workplace. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I wanted to pick up on what you said about men being afraid to say anything. There's a lot to dig into there. I think it would be a whole podcast, you know, in itself. But there's two things. One, I think men really need to look at the stats, right? Because what I've been hearing a lot of is like, you know, young men don't know where they stand or that they have less opportunities. And it's just simply not true. The status quo is still pretty much the status quo. Women are still a fraction of board members, of CEOs, of Fortune 500 CEOs, of senior leaders, period. Women of color are a fraction of those percentages. Women raise, black women, women of color raise like 0.035% of available investment. Like So those stats still exist. I think that there's maybe a perception because of the general discourse around these issues that for some reason that there's this perception that there is some zero-sum game and that is not the case. So I would just say like, number one, look at the facts. Um, Mm -hmm. No one's taking anyone's jobs away. Women are still very much. Um, I think that the men who are in positions of power should not take this sort of stance of like, you know, being afraid to speak up or not knowing what to say. You have all the power, you hold all the cards. Like, you know, there is so much impact that you can have by speaking up and especially by speaking up to other men, because I think that sometimes it's very hard. I've spoken at companies, you know, where there's a mixed audience and I've noticed, you know, often that the men look like they're sort of long suffering and forced to be there and they're rolling their eyes. And I think that sometimes the message is better received when it comes from another man. I don't think that there is anything to be afraid of as far as like, being alone with a, you know, a female employee or being a mentor to like, no one's coming after you. You know, there's a very, very, very small fraction of wrongful cases when it comes to sexual harassment. Like it is not the norm. And so like, no one's coming after you. No one's going to accuse you of anything. Like you should 
use your position and power for good. And then the final thing I just want to say on this is there is a crisis, you know, amongst teenage boys. And I definitely, I'm the mother of, of a son and I'm really conscious and aware of this. And so we really have to think about how we're raising our sons, where we're giving them strength, how we help them sort of know their place in the world and know their place in a way that is inclusive of all and that it's not, it's me or nothing. It's a complex, we're in a complex time, pro-man and pro-women, but there are definitely sort of issues amongst teenage boys in particular where there is sort of a crisis of confidence um, across the board. And that's just, you know, definitely something that should be talked about more. Yeah. It's really intense, especially as they're getting into college too. A lot of that seems to be a really tricky time right now for boys. But it's interesting because a lot of times it's women of boys. It'll be a friend of mine who has a son who has just graduated from college. And she says, when it's your son or when it's your daughter, then you're like, well, my son's not even going to be able to get a job now. They're going to go to all women in finance and, you know, in Manhattan or whatever, you know, these kinds of things. So it's interesting as you watch your son grow, you're going to have this inside insight to all of that. And that's going to be helpful to other people. You know, once again, you might be a force to lead the way about that as well, because there are a lot of things. It's basically, it's not true that all the jobs are going to women. And I got a job. As women, we have to educate our sons and we have to sort of speak up and men in senior positions need to do that too. No one's asking for an unbalanced or unfair workplace. No. We're just asking for simple equality and to, you know, to earn what we're worth and, you know, and for a level playing field. There's a movie called This Changes Everything, which you maybe saw since it's about the entertainment industry. But in it, Meryl Streep says the modern form of chivalry is being an ally and lifting up women for men. So I really loved that tidbit right. in the movie. Will you tell us about Black Women Raise and any Black-owned businesses that we should have on our radar? So Black Women Raise was created to support Black women founders who, as I mentioned earlier, receive a very small fraction of, of available investment capital. We start businesses at a you know, faster rate than any other demographic we sort of innovate in ways that are sort of exciting and, uh, and you know, and that should be supported. And, but I just heard countless, you know, stories um, from friends who just couldn't raise the money they needed to build the businesses they wanted. And so I wanted to do something about that. And so much of how money is raised is through warm relationships. It's through introductions. So it's very hard to access the powers that be from within the, the venture community, if you don't have an in, if you don't have someone who can introduce you, you know, so if you're, you didn't grow up around those networks or you, you know, you don't have a sort of an uncle or a friend who can do that for you, then it's really hard. And so as a community builder, I felt that this was something that I could support because it's, you know, what I love to do. And so I created it really to one, just kind of provide a support network for for Black founders for each other so we could share our stories and sort of do's and don'ts and learnings, um, but also to bring in funders um, and, and create those connections. And so it's really, you know, a, a community that connects founders to funders 
and to potential corporate partners to help them. There are three different ones. So one is a platform called Sweeten. It's a tech-enabled platform um, that you go to to find contractors for your house. And it was founded by a Black founder. Her name's um, Jean Brownhill. That's one. There's a platform called Planet Forward that was also founded by a Black founder. Her name's Julia Collins. And Planet Forward is focused on building ecosystems that support sustainability. Within it, there is also Moonshot, snacks that were sustainably produced and made. Moonshot snacks, delicious. I love that. And then the third one is a platform called 13 Loon. It's a beauty platform. It's founded by Nikeo Greco. And it's where you go to find Black or women of color owned beauty brands. Wow, that's so great. I love that. That's very exciting. Any tips for how women can lift up and support the women around them? I mean, I know we've already been talking about this a little bit, but traditionally sometimes because women felt they were in a, maybe they were the only managing partner and they weren't bringing others along with them because they were so nervous about their position and there weren't many positions, but how can women support and lift up those around them? There's a few things, you know, if you're a woman who happens to be in a position of power. So if you manage to sort of make it all the way there, think about how you can leave your workplace changed as opposed to, you know, patting yourself on the back for having made it and, you know, and, and all kudos to you. Um, But how can you leave things change for the women who are coming up behind you? So some of that is obviously your hiring practices, but it's also like, how do you change the infrastructure of the space that you're in? How do you change practices? How do you change language? How do you change behaviors? I think it's really important to really try and change environments. Whatever you notice, whether it's what the hiring practices are or how things are phrased or how meetings are structured, what time are the meetings? Are they early in the morning when moms can't make it because they are dealing, you know, like, so like, what are all the infrastructural ways that you can change the environment you're in? And also how obviously can you ensure within hiring practices that you're bringing up a new generation? And are you thinking about succession planning? Like who, who is my successor? It isn't just about being the first and the only, it's about like who you can bring along with you. And then I think that if you are earlier on in your career, at a midpoint in your career, it's really just thinking about like how you can be more action oriented and, you know, in the ways, and this is what applies for all women and in the way that you support other women. So yes, being a supportive and being a sounding board is great, but what are the tactical ways that um, you can support other women? Like how, you know, do you make introductions when you hear about great jobs or great opportunities? Like, are you really sort of actively thinking about women around you? Do you buy from women-owned brands? That's a very sort of straightforward and simple thing that you can do. Are you posting about them um, at work? You know, are you an ally? Are you supporting women who, a woman who's going through a hard time, you know, navigating the system? Like, how are you being that support for them? How are you sort of speaking up on their behalf? don't hold the knowledge like how are you sharing what you've learned like I love sort of when I figure out a way to navigate systems or get around obstacles like I love sharing those learnings because that's you know that's how we all learn I love the word tactical because it's not a word that's that often used when you're talking about women I love that it's a power word 
that. Tactical. I love transactional. Yeah. I love, I know that there are some who don't, but I think it's incredibly important to be comfortable being transactional. It doesn't mean it's not an either or it doesn't make you a bad person right. to want or need something and to ask for it. And I think it's incumbent on the women in your life to give and support that, you know, if they can, because what is the point otherwise, if, if, if there is no give and take, you know, to me, that is actually not a great, that is not a true friendship or true allyship. Do you have any fundraising tips? Oh, fundraising is a bear. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say I am definitely no expert, but based on my own experience, being so prepared by that, I mean, you have to do all the work before you begin the process so that you can run a tight machine. And so by that, I mean, get all your lists ready. Like, you know, who are all the people that you're targeting and do your research on them? Like who is the right partner at that VC firm for you to target? Like, you know, do they like your sort of business? Does the company like your sort of business? Who's going to make the warm intro for you and will they do it? Getting all of your you know materials ready and your all of your sort of financials and your deck and just making sure that you have everything sort of prepared. Like there were lots of things that I was doing on the go that I wished I just kind of, you know, had in the bag so that I could just go out there, set up all your meetings and set them up in a very tight time frame because when you go out to investors, some you know people will say, oh, I can meet you in four months or I can meet you in a month or I can, you know, you need to have a very tight time frame. Otherwise you will be fundraising for the rest of your life. So decide like these are the six weeks in which I'm raising money. I'm going to ensure that every meeting is within this time frame. And so if you've done all the prep, it just means that you are just like ready to hit the ground running and just you know, do all of your meetings back to back and like drive that momentum. Those are some things. I was just thinking about so many women have said to me, especially black women, they had to be beyond the best. They had to be over prepared. That's kind of what I was thinking when you were saying that about as a woman, and especially maybe a woman of color, you really have to be over prepared, right? You have to over prepared and yeah. practice. Practice, practice, practice that pitch until you can just deliver it in your sleep. It's so important. And also anticipate every question, which is where, you know, practice with friends and have them ask you lots and lots of questions so that you can anticipate every possible question that might come your way. I mean, I have so many, like try and meet with the people who maybe lesser priority first so that you can practice before you meet. Right. You know, like your—that was also like a good piece of advice as well. That's practice with the easy ones before you go to the tough ones. It's a scary thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But I, you know, I've spoken to people who now say that they quite enjoy fundraising because I'm not one, but um, (laughs) there, there is an art to it, and I think that if you've done it over and over again, you start to understand how it works. So I think for me, in for my first time. It was really hard. You know, the rejection is really hard, but, you you know, and I talk a lot about rejection, but it was, you know, very hard to take my own advice on that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's just hard, but those are great tips. Any actionable steps you can give our readers for empowering 
other women. So this is our listeners and our readers and things like that. This is just not even in the workplace, but I think there's also this systemic feeling of fear. Well, if I'm too vocal about that, I'm going to lose people or, you know, I might this or something bad is going to happen and things like that. Do you have any advice about that? I mean, I would just say generally don't sit in judgment of other women. I think that's like the most important thing that we can do. Do you live the life that you want to live? And, you know, obviously you have your own values and, you know, and your own approach to things and don't sit in judgment of other people who may choose to do things differently, as long as they're not harming others. You know, and I think particularly on social media, like I see people like weighing in in the comments all the time. It's just like, that wasn't necessary. You know, it's like, disagree, keep it to yourself. Like, it's not your opinion. Great. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, you know, I just think the world would be a better place if there was just like less judgment all around and just a bit more um, support all around. Like we'd just love to pile on and and I just will never do that. I think that's really important. You know, I try to forgive. I try to walk away from harmful situations, just focus on you and where you're trying to go and just being a kind of a great support to other women. Like what we were taught as children, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? But also I think there again, for older sisters to, you know, teach younger sisters and for mothers to really concentrate on explaining that to their kindergarten. You know, I was a kindergarten teacher and I remember a little girl saying very meanly and quietly to her friend, if you don't give me that doll to play with you're not coming to my birthday party and I was like I heard that you know we had to have a big discussion about that it starts early right women are or can be really really powerful with their words for good or bad so I think that's um that's like you said that's important lift other people up and stay away from anything that would bring another woman or girl down at all Yeah, just uplift the women around you by making them feel great about who they are, what they do. I'm a community builder. You know, I love to be around people. I genuinely, I'm interested in who they are and what they have to say. And I like to listen. I like to, you know, I want people to feel seen. You know, like just sort of what do you want for yourself and how can you live those values? Yes. Let's talk your career in the entertainment industry. Will you tell us all about that? Yeah, sure. I love movies and, you know, pre, pre, um, child and husband, um, I had actually, you know, a great friend and we would go to the movies all weekend. Like we would literally (laughs) buy one ticket and, um, and go to a huge movie theater. This was back in the day when you could like navigate between between yeah don't tell anyone um and we would like see you know five movies back to back that that's you know and it was just like like, our favorite thing to do so um it's definitely a big love and I loved working in the movie business you know I tended to work on more independent films and so I worked with directors like Sofia Coppola and Paul Thomas Anderson and the Coen brothers and Ang Lee and it was such an exciting time in the time that I was in the business. I, you know, traveled around the world, going to film festivals like Cannes and Venice, um, just watching and appreciating and supporting and marketing movies. So, you know, I loved that. Such an exciting career that you got to 
follow your love of these movies. So what are your thoughts on the current state of the entertainment industry and women both working in it and also what we see in the movies? Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, the the Me Too movement was, you know, was after my time. You know, I definitely did experience some sexual harassment. I mean, like nothing that broke me, but it's those, uh, what do you call them? Micro. Micro. It's yeah. the microaggressions that, that add up. And that was really kind of my experience. Um, you know, the wrong thing said and a hand placed in the, you know, in the wrong place, like the lots of those sorts of things. Um, so I'm glad of the Me Too movement. I am seeing a big change in that regard and people are a lot more careful about those things. There's still a lot more work to be done as far as general equality in the workplace within the film business behind the scenes. Um, I see great strides being made in television in terms of like women showrunners and writers and women and and especially like women of color in um, leading roles. I'm seeing some change, but not as much in the film business. So many of the award shows are still skewed in the wrong direction there are certainly not enough black women directors i can count the number who are getting the sort of bigger films on on maybe one hand and i think the only way that changes is that we need decision makers you know within the studios who are diverse um, and who will Mm -hmm. make just you know who will sort of make choices that are broader um, who have a worldview um, that is broader than what currently exists. So, you know, there's there's good and bad, but certainly progress since my time. And so definitely right. glad of that. And, you know, today, uh, Greta Gerwig broke through a huge barrier and um, first billion dollar woman director. That's huge. And it's about Barbie. Um, you got to have to. I mean, the irony of all that is really. The irony is, but but, you know, but it's interesting because. Margot Robbie, who who um, originally took on the rights and became a producer on that film, you know, hired Greta Gerwig and really stood by her and allowed her to make or supported her in her choices, allowing her to make the film that she wanted to make. And what she made was quite a subversive film. So it really like wasn't a, you know, a sweet and lovely Barbie film. It was a film, it was a feminist statement. um, Yes about dolls, about um, workplace, you know, about equality in the home. Um, And so it really wasn't about Barbie at all. It was about the world in which women exist. And so, and I think, you know, some of how she was able to do that was because she had a very supportive lead actor who controlled the rights to the film and who really sort of stood by her. And so having that, you know, like speaking of how women can be supportive to one another, like having the two of them as a unit allowed them to tell the story that they wanted to tell and to create a film that really kind of spoke to the zeitgeist. And that's why it was so successful. I think just a Barbie movie would have, you know, Oh, I wouldn't have gone. Right, right, right. But that's what I think is so fascinating is that people thought it was just going to be a Barbie movie. And it really is a female empowerment statement, right? And someone like Margot Robbie actually has a brain and is making smart choices and doing very, you know, interesting things and more and more. So I think that's the best thing. You know, and I think maybe there are a few more roles for older women. You know, I think a lot about that at my age, but some of them are kind of, 
I mean, I love the women that are making the movies, but sometimes they're sort of silly. You know, it's a, it's a cliche thing of the older women going on a trip and, you know, you know, all this kind of stuff, which, which is, I'm just so glad they're acting. But you know what I'm saying? I feel like, like there's still work to be done. There's definitely still work to be done. And I think that the only way to make those stories is to make them ourselves. You know, so I love that Margot Robbie has her own production company. I love that. I think Gabrielle Union has one and obviously Reese Witherspoon, Viola Davis. Like I loved what Viola Davis Uh, did with The Woman King. Like what an incredible film she produced. Black woman director. Like so unfortunately, these roles are not being handed out and we have to create them and make them for ourselves and for the moment. It kind of just takes a few really, really brave women and then they can bring others along with them and they bring others along with them and, and uh, you know, there's power in numbers. Well, let's talk a little bit more about We Sweet. Yes, please. What is it? How can people get involved? All of that. So the We Sweet is a membership community for women. And again, it was inspired by my own experiences. What we do well is that we create a space where women can ask and where they can get answers. It's a very sort of tactical, transactional, supportive environment where women are peer coaching and supporting one another's careers. They are sharing tactics, they're making introductions, they're writing checks. They're doing what men have been doing for each other for as long as we can remember and that we need to do more of. Um, And so like, how do we use our power and position to help other women succeed? And so when you join, you can get your own personal advisory board. So you get put in a group of eight women and you meet with them once a month and you like work with each other on your goals. We do masterclasses, we host amazing dinners, we do retreats. And it's just a thoroughly active, supportive um, space where women are getting real results for themselves. And that makes me happy. Oh, yeah. And is it, it's not just for female entrepreneurs, right? It's for women in business theory. It's for women in business. So it's for both founders and executives. And so you just go to the website, to the wesuite.com and apply and it gets reviewed. That's great. I was trying to think of any other questions that someone might ask, but I think they can just get the answers at, at the website. Yeah. I mean, it's for women who are in like more senior roles. I mean, there are lots of other communities out there for women who are up and coming. Um, But this is definitely for women who um, are more established. And can you receive a newsletter type? Can you sign up for newsletters or anything like that? Yeah. So anyone can sign up for the newsletter, actually. You know, one of the things that we wanted to do was even though the community is for um, women at a certain place in their career is we right. still want to ensure that we are supporting all women. And there are so many great insights that come out of the community that we share in our newsletter. So it's definitely also worth signing up the right. same website and you'll get like yeah. all the great tactics um, that you can apply to your own career until you're ready to apply to the resuite. So, you know, definitely do that. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the news. Okay, Dee, well, where can people find you? How can they support you? Um, so I'm on, I guess, on social media. So I'm on um, Instagram and LinkedIn, just my name. Um, so follow me there. And I'm, you know, also always sort of sharing 
um, great things that um, that I'm sort of learning along the way through my own relationships and um, and the spaces I'm in. So definitely um, come follow and you know be a part of my personal community too. That's wonderful. Yes, thank you for coming on. This was such an informative, wonderful episode. I very much enjoyed it. I love that this is a mother-daughter show. How <laughs> thank you. It's fun. It's nice to have the different generational insights. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's you know, it's incredibly um, important that you know that we have this sort of intergenerational connection. You know that the generations who've gone before us, who have so many learnings to share, and the generations who are coming up, who have a completely different sort of um, hey. approach and viewpoint and, you know, and just sharing on both sides, like makes us all stronger for sure. I agree. It's the weird thing is right now, I feel like my age group, the moms are learning so much from the daughters, especially like the daughters do like, that keep asking you, I don't understand why you can't do that. I don't understand mm-hmm. why, you know, that really what, you know, all these things, you know, your head's just spinning. It's a lot of unlearning and relearning. But anyway, we could talk all day. So thanks again so much for being on. We love what you're doing and um, we hope to see you soon. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.